Good afternoon and welcome. It's Midday. I'm Tom Hall. Thanks for being with us. If you're like me, you had kind of a rotten weekend. Yesterday wasn't fun watching football. And on top of it, some of us were rooting for the Lions as well as the Ravens. So uh, it was difficult watching the Ravens aid and abet the Kansas City Chiefs in beating them. Uh, and difficult watching the Detroit Lions sort of disintegrate in the second half. But that's, you know, why we watch sports, because stuff happens that you can't predict sometimes. And, uh, you know, you just never know how it's going to happen. So there's always next year. And, uh, of course, in just a couple of weeks, pitchers and catchers report to spring training. So the Orioles will become our obsession. First day, my first guest today here on Midday is Dr. Matthew Taylor. He's the Protestant scholar at the Institute for Islamic, Christian, and Jewish Studies here in Baltimore. He's been studying the Christian nationalist movement in the United States for years. On Wednesday night, he'll premiere a new documentary film about the involvement of this growing movement in the attack on the Capitol in 2021. The film is called Spiritual Warriors, Decoding Christian Nationalism in the Capitol riot. Matt Taylor joins me here in Studio A with a preview. Good to see you. Good to see you too, Tom. Thank you for having me. Sure. So, you know, the Catholic Church has the Pope. The uh, Episcopal Church has a bunch of archbishops. Uh, the Baptists have their hierarchy, the Presbyterians, etc. But the, the Christian nationalist movement is non-denominational. So there's no central institutional hierarchy. Um, but how is it organized? Because it's clearly huge. I, I would honestly be cautious about even labeling it a movement because I think it's more of a, a tendency, a trend. It's a way that people orient toward their faith, both towards their own personal faith, but also towards the American nation. And so, no, it is it is not non-denominational. In fact, I would say that Christian nationalism is trans-denominational. It, it, it reaches into all kinds of different denominations. And there are many contributing theologies of Christian nationalism. There's no such thing as a generic Christian nationalism or Christian nationalist in the United States. People are coming from Calvinist theology or people are coming in through more charismatic and Pentecostal theology. Sometimes people are coming in through Catholic theology. So it's a lot of kind of contributing folk movements, contributing theologies that all are kind of embracing this idea of America is a nation built by and for Christians. And one of the things that I think is so valuable about this documentary is it begins to explain the thing that is very, really uh, not only disconcerting, but just, you know, baffling to so many people, why Donald Trump, of all people, holds such uh, a hold on the evangelical movement. Um, here's a clip from the movie, uh, a guy named Lance Wallnow, uh, talking about Donald Trump. Cyrus, Isaiah 45, God anointed Cyrus. Mr. Trump, you have to ask yourself, when you think about all of the bullets you've dodged and all of the tripwires you've crossed as a candidate, how you survive reminds me of Washington with bullets through his jacket and horses shot out from under him. You have to admit that the grace of God has been on you. Yeah. He, he's, he's, he's hearing me. And I said, I believe Isaiah 45 prophesies that God raises up secular rulers for times like this. The 45th president is a Cyrus. Mm. And then I even told him, I said, it even says, though you know me not, it doesn't matter to us 
that you know you don't have to, you don't have to convince us you're an evangelical. We don't believe you are, but it doesn't change the and fact you, you that you told him this. I told him. Oh, this. that's funny. I said, but it doesn't. Cha-. He didn't like it either. He was like frowning. <laughs> I said, but it doesn't change the fact that you are a Christian in your heart, pursuing God as you uh, know Him, that's and powerful. that and the anointing is on you for your job, mm-hmm. and we support you. So. The 45th president is a Cyrus. What does that mean? Who's Cyrus? And uh, tell us the significance of Isaiah chapter 45. Yeah, so Isaiah chapter 45 is in the, in the passage in the Hebrew Bible in the, the prophet Isaiah. Um, and in this in this particular case, Lance Wall now, who really popularizes this idea, he's, he's one of the, the real proponents of this idea of Donald Trump is a Cyrus or has a Cyrus anointing. Um, and Cyrus, if you remember your Hebrew Bible history, um, the, the Jewish people, uh, especially the Jewish leaders, are taken away into exile by the Babylonian Empire and are living in exile in Babylon for several decades. And then the Persian Empire conquers the Babylonian Empire, and the Persian Emperor Cyrus, this heathen emperor, is the one who sends the Jewish people back from exile to rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. This is in the 6th century BCE. Um, and so what Wallnau is trying to convey, and, and, and part of the reason this idea has become so popular is Cyrus is not Jewish, right? He's not one of the people of God. He is a heathen emperor, and yet he has, there's this very positive reference to Cyrus. And he even has, when, when, when you talk about Cyrus being anointed, well, the word for anointing is Messiah, under the anointed one, right? So Cyrus is cast as a sort of Messiah, a savior, for Israel by sending the Jewish people back from exile to, to rebuild. And the, the analogy that Wallnau and others who've taken this up will use is just as the Jewish people were in exile in Babylon, conservative Christians are in cultural exile in their view in America. And Donald Trump is this brutal heathen emperor who will protect them. So he doesn't have to be one of them. He doesn't have to be an evangelical. He is pursuing God in his own way, according to this doctrine. And they aren't actually that concerned whether he's pursuing God in his own way. And this is something that is largely misunderstood about evangelical support for Trump is I think a lot of people imagine that evangelicals have been hoodwinked by Trump or believe that he is some sort of great Christian um, and that you just can't see it by his behavior. In reality, they can see his behavior. They see what he does. But there's been a theological shift, and the Cyrus anointing idea is, is a big part of it, away from our leader needs to be a moral and spiritual exemplar to our leader needs to protect us. And if our leader's a strong man, if our leader uses violent rhetoric, well, that's part of what it takes to protect us. Let me uh, play another clip from the movie. This is a clip of you talking uh, in the movie about this notion of spiritual warfare, which is really central to this doctrine. If you believe that American politics is just another arena of spiritual warfare, if you believe that your enemies, that your opponents, your political opponents are inspired by demons and are possessed by demons, there's no compromise with demons. There's no finding middle ground, right? Part of what is fueling the extreme polarization in American politics today are the politics of spiritual warfare. And you find this rhetoric in the mouths of so many politicians today. So when you talk about spiritual warfare, you're not talking about a bunch of theologians arguing with each other on panels. You're talking about 
actual physical warfare. January 6th was an exemplar of the warfare that these evangelicals are calling for. And part of the story I, I, we tell in the film and that I'm telling in my book that's coming out this year is um, there was a shift that occurred in um, evangelical circles in the 1990s. Um, and there were several of the leaders at the forefront of this shift become part of a movement that is called the New Apostolic Reformation. And one of the, the people at the real forefront of this is a guy named C. Peter Wagner who was a seminary professor. He was, in some ways, a, a theologian, um, was very respected in evangelical circles. And he, and many evangelicals, many Pentecostals, even some Catholics believe in spiritual warfare. These, these ideas, these concepts come out of the New Testament. But what Peter Wagner and his cohort did, and Lance Wall now really becomes part of Peter Wagner's cohort, is they took this concept of spiritual warfare, which is just that there are angels and demons and spiritual forces around us that we can't see, who are battling for control of the world and that Christians can participate in that through prayer or through devotional practices, through singing worship songs, that sort of thing. But Peter Wagner comes up with this idea that he calls strategic level spiritual warfare, which is the idea that you can orchestrate campaigns of spiritual warfare and that Wagner and his fellows can be generals of spiritual warfare. And they use this language, very violent language, and they, they believe that they need to be boots on the ground at the sites where they believe this confrontation is Every going on. Every metaphor is military. Every metaphor is military. And, and sometimes called, they're not metaphors. Wagner had a, an online bookstore and he called it the Arsenal. And they <laughs> believe that shofars, these, these ram's horns that they're usually used in Jewish liturgy, well, they believe that's a weapon of spiritual warfare. And when you look at the manifestations of Christian nationalism in the Capitol riot, they're largely coming out of this charismatic spiritual warfare movement. And this is why you see people blowing shofars. This is why you see people praying and singing worship songs yards from this capital that is being stormed, right? Yards from a riot, you have groups of Christians gathering and singing worship songs in, in chorus, right? And, and they believe that that is also part of this warfare. And there even were some of Wagner's mentees um, who were there attempting to do this spiritual warfare with a PA system over the Capitol during the riot. The film is called Spiritual Warriors, Decoding Christian Nationalism at the Capitol Riot. The producer uh, and the animating force behind it is my guest, Dr. Matthew Taylor. He's the Protestant scholar at the Institute for Islamic, Christian, and Jewish Studies. If you have a question or comment for Matt Taylor, 410-662-8780, our email midday at wipr.org. So let's talk a little bit more about the actual involvement of folks in this apostolic reformation uh, movement on January 6th. They were there. You mentioned we saw people blowing shofars. We didn't quite know what that meant at the time. We saw people praying, uh, giving speeches. Were they also involved in, you know, storming the the building and and smashing the windows and assaulting the uh, law enforcement who was there, or were they on the on the periphery, uh, trying to trying to pray them through the uh, successful you know completion of this effort? My my research focuses on this non denominational charismatic sector of American Christianity, which has become very radicalized in the Trump era and in many ways has become the vanguard of Christian Trumpism. I have tracked about sixty leaders from that independent charismatic world, everything from local pastors up to international celebrity prophets who were there in D.C. in the crowd surrounding the Capitol. The guy and we heard from earlier, Lance, Lance Wall, now was, was there. there. He was mm-hmm. supposed to speak at a rally um, on uh, at the Capitol at 1 p.m. that day that got, got canceled because of the riot. And um, 
But only a handful of these leaders actually went in to the capital. And there, and you can kind of see there the number of pastors that went in, a Messianic rabbi went in, um, but the majority of them stayed on the periphery. They were there to do this spiritual warfare. They believed that they, that demons had taken over the capital and the demons were orchestrating um, the, the, what they understood as the, the takeover, the stealing of the election. And they understood their role as using this rhetoric of spiritual violence and using these strategies of spiritual warfare to displace those demons so that Donald Trump could be reinstated. And the demons, you make the point in the film, are geographically located. These are not demons in the ether. These are demons uh, at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. This is one of the, the, the real things that Peter Wagner and his cohort pioneer. And Wagner would talk about and even wrote books about territorial spirits demonic spirits that are commanders of other demons that hold power over literal geographic territory and over human institutions. And so you even hear some of Wagner's followers there at the Capitol riot praying against the territorial spirits that they believe have taken over the Capitol. And so, and then the, the idea of strategic level spiritual warfare is Christians are supposed to conquer spiritual territory, which is maps onto literal territory from these demons. And so, yes, they, they believed the demons had taken over Washington, D.C., had taken over the Capitol. Um, they even are praying and, and envisioning these demons as like a dragon over the building. And then they're trying to cast that spirit out. And But there were many, many people doing these practices all around the Capitol and even some going inside the Capitol. There's a term of art that they use called Jericho marches. Uh, and they thought of the whole assemblage on January 6th as a Jericho march to restore Trump to power and to restore uh, ergo uh, America. And this is another image from the Hebrew Bible, right? And as the um, people of Israel are coming up out of, um, the through the Exodus, coming away from slavery, they conquer the promised land, they conquer Canaan. And one of the first conquests, one of the first battles is they conquer the city of Jericho. And if you go and read that story, it is a brutal story of massacring all the inhabitants of Jericho at the command of God. And this was the image that many of these, especially non-denominational and Pentecostal charismatic folks picked up um, in the lead up to January 6th. And there were Jericho marches going on um, where they were blowing shofars and doing these prayer practices in the swing state capitals as they're being as you have these legal contestations uh, about the results of the 2020 election. And then there was a major Jericho march in Washington, D.C. on December 12th. And Lance Wall now and another of Peter Wagner's disciples spoke at the Jericho March on December 12, 2020. And then even January 6th was presented to Christians as a Jericho March, that they believed that they could do these prayer practices and that the, the walls would come crumbling down and they would conquer the government. How is it that they know that Donald Trump has been anointed by God to restore uh, Christian, not just prevalence, but literally Christian authority over the United States of America. It's it's done because they have been prophesied to, right? And this is another major shift in evangelical theology. I, I grew up evangelical. Um, I grew up in even some sort of charismatic spaces, but I never heard about prophets, people who are living prophets today. But this is an idea that over the last 30 years has really taken hold in these especially non-denominational charismatic spaces, that there are certain people who are gifted with the office of prophet, 
to help lead the church, that God speaks directly to them about what God wants and that they are meant to convey those messages. And as this movement really consolidated around supporting Donald Trump, there were a few prophets of these prophets, including Lance Wallnow in 2016, who prophesied that Donald Trump was going to win in 2016. By 2020, there are hundreds of charismatic prophets all saying in chorus, God has anointed Donald Trump for another term. God wants Donald Trump to win this election. And that is the spirituality and the certainty that fuels Christian participation in January 6th. They believe God wills it. They believe that the devil is impeding it and these territorial spirits are in the way and they need to push it through. There's something they refer to as the Seven Mountain Mandate. So this is, uh, again, a, a concoction they've uh, invented to to justify and to, to help direct and inform the strategy. What is that Seven Mountain Mandate? And even this, this idea of Seven Mountains actually originates with Lance Wallnow. He started talking about this in the year 2000. The idea is that you divide society up into different, they sometimes call them spheres of influence or air, arenas of cultural influence. It's things like family, education, government, arts and entertainment, commerce. And, and the, the idea is that the, the tops of those mountains in any given society are either controlled by the devil and demons or by the kingdom of God. There's no, buy, there's no, there's no separation. You, you, you either got one or the other. And so they think that Christians need to be use these spiritual warfare practices, but also make choices in their lives and their careers to take over positions of influence in society. And they would talk about this as conquering the tops of the seven mountains so that influence will then flow down into the rest of society. So, I mean, there's different ways to think about how you transform a society. Historically, most evangelicals have thought about transforming society through a sort of grassroots approach. You mobilize voters, you organize people, and, and, and you get your voices heard. This is a vanguard model of societal change. You take over the positions of influence and govern from the tops. So it's a top-down model of conquering society. You talk about this charismatic Pentecostal uh, tradition, this movement. There's uh, one of the uh, people interviewed in the documentary says that uh, that movement is adding 30,000 uh, charismatics to the rolls uh, a day. That's a lot of people. The, 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 especially this non-denominational charismatic movement is one of the fastest growing religious movements in the history of the world. It has grown incredibly quickly. I mean, you're talking about around 1970, you maybe had 40 million people who were non-denominational and charismatic in the world. Today, it's over 300 million. So in the space of about 50 At a years, time when organized, so-called organized religion is declining. Most Christianity, especially in the West, around the world, Christianity is growing. And especially it's growing through these non-denominational Pentecostal networks. But in the U.S., most Christian sects, most Christian denominations are shrinking. This is the one part of American Christianity that's growing rapidly. And it's growing very rapidly. And so when you look at American Christianity, it's, it's that you have this out-migration from all the other kinds of Christianity and this in-migration of folks adopting these charismatic ideas and identities and practices that also, because we're living in the Trump era and they've become so attached to that, also carry a lot of these right-wing politics with them. As a person who grew up evangelical, as a scholar of religion, what's the appeal 
I mean, you talk about the ideas, the 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 notions, the the promises, um, but these prophecies and uh, these the, the the way this information is uh, received, the way it's disseminated, um, what it's that's a lot of people. Three hundred million people are buying into this. Um, how come? And we live in an era of great disillusionment with institutions, with societies, with the globe itself, with the global order. And a lot of what these charismatic churches and leaders offer is certainty and confidence. I mean, you, you can have a, a, a literal prophet speaking God's word directly to you or to your community. They also, I mean, if, if you go and look at how these churches often function, it if you were coming in from the outside, it would feel a lot less like a church service and a lot more like an immersive rock concert. I mean, high-powered music, immersive experiences that accompany then this charismatic spirituality that where you have people saying, well, and this is the voice of God speaking. or And, and this is, these are also folks who believe strongly in miracles. And so on all these different levels, they are immersing themselves in this kind of charismatic spiritual environment that shores up a lot of things for them personally. But again, also has become very attached to these politics in the last decade. And there there is more than enough room for violence in perpetrating and advancing the this theology. The as 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 I said, the so Wagner and his cohort, these new apostolic reformation leaders, really adopt this vocabulary of spiritual violence. And they'll they're careful to say this is we're just talking spiritual violence. We're just talking about casting out demons. The challenge and the problem with that is they're pointing at people and yeah, saying Mike oh, Flynn's in this movie saying Nancy Pelosi is a demon. Yes. So if she is literally the devil, uh, you, you're not going to negotiate, as you say uh, in this movie. You, you know, you, you've got to simply cast that person out. And if it takes violence to do it, so be it. And, and with this idea of territorial spirits, if your institutions are polluted by demons and run by demons, if your party, political parties, if your cities are run by demons, then there's a, there's a demonization, a literal demonization of people and of human communities. And you only can point at them and keep saying, well, those people or that community, that institution is filled with demons for so long before somebody says, well, the logical outcome of that is I need to attack them. What's the solution? What's the antidote? I don't know that we in the United States, at least among among American Christians, you still make up more than 60% of the U.S. population. I don't know that we have been in a moment that is so polarized between different kinds of Christians, polarized theologically, polarized culturally, polarized socially, and polarized epistemically at the level of how we know what we know. I don't know that there's been a time in American history where we've been this polarized other than in the lead up to the Civil War. And so we desperately need Christians to talk to their fellow Christians. We need people who are not Christians to talk to some of these Christians who have become immersed in these very extreme theologies and very extreme practices and ideas and help pull us back from the brink. Because I am very worried. And I've spent the last three years immersing myself in that season between the calling of the 2020 election and January 6th. I'm very worried in this election year that we are headed towards another one of these slow moving crises in American democracy where the rhetoric gets ramped up to the highest level and where violence could result. Well, I got to tell you, I watched your movie on Saturday. I watched The Ravens on Sunday. It was a rotten weekend. <laughs> I'm sorry, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> but, cause the, but this is, you know, we were, I'm joking, but this is a serious and, and 
you know, uh, acute problem. I mean, 300 million people worldwide, uh, and the number is growing here in the United States. Uh, and we've got the rhetoric, you know, continuing to come from the leading nominee for the Republican nomination. So, uh, appreciate that uh, you're doing this work and getting the word out there. And thanks so much. Well, thank you for having me on, Dr. Matthew Taylor. He's with the Institute for Islamic, Christian, and Jewish Studies. He's the author of a book due out in the fall, "The Violent Take It by Force." The Christian movement that is threatening our democracy, ICJS, will premiere Spiritual Warriors, this film decoding Christian nationalism at the Capitol Riot on Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, at the Senator Theater in Towson. The screening will be followed by a panel discussion with Matt, the filmmaker Michael Ivan Schwartz, and two other religious scholars. Up next, a conversation about juvenile justice and the facts and fears that are driving public policy in the Maryland General Assembly and around the country. We'll talk about a new report from the Maryland Youth Justice Coalition. On the other side of a quick break, it's midday. I'm Tom Hall. Stay with us. This is Baltimore's NPR News Station. Member supported 881 WYPR.